0: This morning, I added to my routine setting up two yellow jacket traps in the yard, which I'm pretty excited to go check after work. Have you ever done such a thing? A yellow jacket
1: trap? Yes, I like the wasps. It, but I don't... A trap? Oh, yes. Like, do you put peanut butter on it? Yeah, I it's like hope a, that it thousands of
0: little mouse traps <laughs> laid laid throughout my yard. That seems guaranteed dangerous. not to catch a squirrel, but only That seems a wasp. dangerous. How oh, you... They're like little plastic. They kind of look like a, they make them look like honey or something. And there's liquid inside, and the wasps get inside of this thing and they can't get out. I don't think people realize that you hate wasps. I'm not a big fan. No, 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 no. no.
1: You hate them. You enjoy watching them destroy each other. <laughs>
0: Oh, I I remember what you're talking about.
1: You take pleasure in watching them like try to behead each other. I think that happened once when I was with
0: you too, which is How many times does it need to happen
1: before I realize you take enjoyment at it? (laughs) I
0: enjoy stepping on them more than that. Yeah, you, you do. You enjoy all the violent things about wasps. They have a special place in my heart because I don't feel that really about any other living thing. Like I almost ran over a frog on the way in on BB today. Felt horrible about that. I didn't though. Uh, but but if it had been a wasp, I would have tried to run it over. Let's get let's get this rolling. <laughs> Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation between Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jay, talking about the sermon from September 20th, 2020.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church podcast. I am your host, Jay. And joining me today is a very... We have a very special treat for you today. Joining me is... Not Robbie. Robbie's out of town. And
0: so it is Jeff. Hello, everybody. Glad to be on the podcast with you today, Jay. Are you really? I am. Okay. Yes, I am.
1: Okay. We just we just went through several minutes of meaningless banter. But um but Jeff, one of the things that has come up is we've been getting feedback about the podcast, which we're super encouraged by. We love it when people mention something in the podcast or ask more questions or give any feedback whatever the case is but the feedback i've gotten recently i got some recent feedback that um evidently there is a small uh group i don't know how small the group of people is but they feel like i make fun of robbie too much Hmm. and so you're now walking into that seat
0: okay so now that you have that feedback though i have nothing to be concerned about
1: yeah I would I wish that was true. I, I don't think I don't know I, I don't know that I, I just don't know what I was doing. I think people don't realize Robbie plays the uh he plays the nice guy, but um he's kind of a tyrant here. Kind of like you are, just storming the halls, you know.
0: Is instigating, and instigating all sorts yourself. Of- <laughs>
1: that is sarcasm. I gotta make sure I get it clear, like people Um, no. So, uh, but you, for some reason, Robbie brings that out in me. I think with you, you're just you have a very peaceful presence about you.
0: Oh, thank you, Jay.
1: I feel myself becoming calmer by the second.
0: Well, that's good. And you're not a wasp. So you have nothing to worry about when you're on me.
1: Yeah. You're, yeah, your rage against wasps, rage against the wasps (laughs) is, is notorious. So, well, um, we should. Uh, we have a sermon to talk about and other things. A lot of things going on. We uh, we sent out an email talking about how uh, how we were going to come back inside on October fourth. And um, this is a good place also to mention to people that because we sent out a survey and we got a ton of responses and we were so encouraged by how many responses we got back. Um, what that told us, we are also encouraged by how many people are planning on. Coming back um, right away on October fourth um, when we move inside, so that's good news. The challenge then is how do we how do we do that responsibly? And so um, immediately we're already going to have to make uh, an adjustment. So originally we were going to have our regular two services at eight forty-five and ten thirty, but now we are going to have to add a third service. So that is great that we that we need to do that. Um, and, but it is going to make things uh, a little different, and, and um, just it makes things a little, uh, I don't want to say more challenging, I guess a little bit, just trying to figure out how everything fits together. But we are um, happy to do it. So the service times are actually going to be at 8, 9.30, and 11. So you probably, have, if you are a part of our church family, if you're on our email list, you've already received that email um, by the time you were listening to this. Um, if you didn't receive that email, if you're not on the email list, then maybe this is the first time you are hearing that. But starting on October 4th, we're going to be meeting at 8, 9, 30, and 11. And uh, we will have overflow available at each of those services. So we only have a certain number of people that we can fit in um, the worship area. And once we reach that number, anybody that comes after that will have, um, we'll, we'll have an overflow room set up. Um, my hope is we won't need that at all three services. Uh, but... We, we are ready for that, but this will allow the, the most people that we possibly can to, to worship in the great room together. So, did that's I say a, That's a big update. It is a big update. You you know, it's you a, l- listen to the podcast, you can hear big news.
0: Well, and it's an exciting one. I know there's a lot of people that are really excited to be able to gather together inside again. And I think, Jay, the, the moving to three services Is another opportunity for all of us to just trust Jesus you know trust what he's doing and and even adjusting when we're coming in and I don't know I'm excited about I think that he's developing some amazing resilience especially in I know I've been thinking about that in my kids as right now life with school and everything is just a bit more fluid than it typically is uh, with moving pieces and we have to learn and adjust and learn and adjust and Man, that can be really difficult and challenging, but it's it's not necessarily bad for us, at least from my perspective. No, I'd say
1: it's good for us. It's it's always good to get thrown a little bit out of your rhythm, and uh, and and just need to walk walk the road that God has given you. So we are going to do that, and uh, we're excited about that. So that's enough of that, Jeff. I'm always curious when we're so it's interesting being on a, a staff with um, other pastors and and communicators uh when I'm when I'm preaching and I, he- I see either you or Robbie or, or anyone else like just kind of give a um but especially you guys because you're used to um teaching regularly uh when I when I say something and lately I've been catching Robbie off guard with some things so I am curious is there anything <laughs> that I caught you off guard with this weekend that you're like oh wait what does he mean by that
0: that's a good question I don't remember any having a moment like that at all uh, this weekend. Um, I know you brought up again, the disciple making movements. And I know that that's just a conversation I've had with a number of people. And again, if you haven't heard the podcast about that, I'd encourage you, Jay, remember that was right after we met outside, right? Where you talked about that?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, it was episode news, huh? So
0: yeah. So, um, a couple ago, but no, there was nothing about the, about the content at all. I, I love the book of Colossians. So I'm excited that we're yeah. walking through it like this. It's something that over the years with students on campus that I studied again and again, because I think it so lays out the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus for all of our lives. And yeah, so I'm excited we're walking through it.
1: Yeah, I agree, man. And I love being back and we're walking through a book of the Bible because it, it gives me my outlines and I know that the outlines are good because it's Scripture. <laughs> the so, Holy Spirit laid yeah, it out for us. Yeah, it's already, he already <laughs> laid it out and so I get to just explain that. So, so yeah, so this past weekend we talked about uh, ministry and Paul's, Paul's ministry and, and how that relates uh, to ours. And uh, I think it, I, it was challenging to me in the preparation of it. I will say
0: that. Um, yeah, how was it challenging? So we're talking, just for clarity, we're talking about Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Yeah. Uh, just as a refresher for people.
1: Yeah, it was, cha- I mean, one of the things that was challenging to me was just the reminder. I don't know how often I need this reminder. It's, it's fairly frequent. I can turn into a big baby when I'm in ministry, and I can start to think that when, when it's hard, when uh, people aren't responding the way that I hope they will, or you know, I, I get excited about an opportunity to share the gospel and it doesn't bear fruit, at least in the moment, or I have challenging times with, with just people that I'm ministering to, I can get kind of pouty about that. And it's just always such a strong reminder whenever you're reading anything in scripture, it's essentially saying, whenever it's talking about ministry, Point one is almost always, it's, it's hard. There's going to be trials, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be difficulties, because that's the plan. It's through that, that God does his work. Hmm. So, that was a big thing for me.
0: And it's, it's unavoidable. You yeah. know what I mean? That's...
1: There's no ministry that you can do that's going to avoid that. If your goal is to avoid it being hard either by reshaping your calendar so that it's easy or by only investing in people that are easy to invest in or by only sharing the gospel when it's easy, then you'll never actually do any ministry. There'll never be any fruit.
0: Hmm. That's when you come to the end of yourself too, right? Mm-hmm. It's like relying on Christ the way Paul talked about here. I was interested in what you said about suffering as you described it in, and I think in a way painted a picture that suffering for us as followers of Jesus should not be surprising. You said one of the reasons Paul has this in here is so they wouldn't be surprised when they encounter it. I wonder if maybe you could expand on that a little bit. Like how do we live and not be surprised by suffering? Well,
1: I mean, yeah, I think that's, it goes, it goes to the idea. If I want, if my life is going to be, uh, worthy if my life is gonna be spent well, then it's there are going to be challenges. There's going to be suffering, and I can't. If I'm surprised by that, then I get discouraged really easily. So that's that's what we talked about on Sunday was that that this is an encouragement to them, so that when these things happened, they wouldn't fall away. That they wouldn't, um, like Jesus said, I, you know, I say these things so that you won't fall away. I, I think we just forget that that's the norm. That's the case, and if if we don't have those expectations set, then it does get really discouraging. And then again, we quit, or we, like I said, we try to find easy ways to do ministry. We keep thinking that there will be the perfect environment, the perfect church, the perfect small group, the perfect relationship, the perfect whatever, that where it'll be easy. And over and over and over again, we see in scripture that that is not true. And and we know that in other areas of life, right? I mean, if you want to be really good at a sport, no one who trains as an athlete thinks like practices should be easy. Yes. Nobody thinks games should be easy. Like if they're if it's, if you're looking for a sport that is easy, then you're going to find one that's not, it's not worthy. And, um, we know that in other things, we know that in whether you're working in school and trying to, um, to achieve something in school or in work or anything else, like it's, it's a common, commonly held understanding that things that are worth it don't come easy. And so I don't know why we would think it would be different in ministry. I think it's because we've, we buy into that false idea that if I'm in God's will, then everything will be smooth. And so we test that by saying, okay, well, I just I want to go to the, the path of least resistance. That must be where God is calling me to go. The, the path that's easiest to lay out when Jesus actually says the opposite that is yes. hard and narrow is that road and so um few will find it that's so that doesn't exactly make it look like oh just go wherever wherever it's easiest
0: it's it's interesting how much I know of my life I have spent worrying about the path going like veering off of the easy path You know, like when we, a lot of our anxieties and troubles in life are anticipating getting off the easy road, like what if this happens or what if this happens Mm -hmm. or, and that's actually right where we need to be is on the road that is not necessarily about ease or about feeling comfortable, but about being connected to the one who made us right and living a life that is his life in us flowing out of us all around us. And that that's going to happen most prevalently, it seems to be when things are difficult and when we're suffering. I've been rereading a book, Jay, called The Insanity of God. Mm -hmm. It's one I would recommend for people. And basically this, the, the author of the book traveled all over the world asking the question, how do Christians follow Jesus when there's a threat against their life or against their safety, or it is unbelievably uncomfortable to do so? So he went to the He doesn't always say which country he's in to protect the people, but he went to some of the hardest places in the world to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And the things that he saw and experienced there were astounding. And that's where the the title of the book came from. It's like, it's like this, it's almost insane to see how God uses the suffering of his people to advance his kingdom, to advance the gospel on this earth.
1: Yeah. And, and how our culture is so set up to avoid it at all costs. And it just makes you wonder, like, why, why do I so want to avoid the thing that God says is going to grow the most in me?
0: Yes. Yeah, one of the countries that he went to, you could not be a leader of a house church until you had been to prison. Like, literally, oh, that wow. the, prison was seminary, because in yes. prison was where mi- mi- so many of the leaders were, and the suffering you endured going there, you came out a different human. Mm-hmm. And and so it was like a qualification, I don't know if officially, but beneficially it was, to be a leader in their house church movement.
1: And I don't know if it was there, but I've also seen that before where where Christians in different cultures uh, will actually, they just call prison seminary. Yes. So they'll just say, like, they'll say, okay, well, where's where's Jim? Oh, he went to seminary. And if you're, they'll just say that. It, they won't even, like, not even with a wink and a smile or a nod, it's, it's you know, he, he's in seminary. And then you find out that that means prison, because that's where they learn that Christ is worth it. They learn that they learn how to suffer for the sake of the gospel and to share in Christ's sufferings, and what it means to be radically dependent on Christ, and and to have everything else stripped away. And you think about it. Well, who who else who else would you want leading? Exactly. Than somebody who knows that.
0: It made me think, though, that. I don't know if the word disadvantage is, a, is the way of describing it, but when I think about our situation, in some ways we are at a disadvantage. Um, not that I want that sort of thing to happen here ever. I don't. And they don't want it either when they experience no. it. But I do think this thinking about a cruciform life where, where we are suffering, and Paul, the way he says it, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So he sees his sufferings to be on behalf of other people. Uh, much like Jesus on, on our behalf. Um, it's harder, I think it's harder for us to find ourselves falling into that in a way you would in a culture that it's just normal to be harassed for being a Christian in those sorts of ways. Like I'm gonna take you and lock you up sorts of ways. So I think this message is really important for us to think about carefully because that isn't the same sort of situation that we find ourselves in.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting the stark contrast because you think about how we choose leaders here, and how we think of. So, I, I would say most commonly, here we think of leaders in ministry as people who know the most. Like, so we look at it as an academic thing. Um, if you if you study a lot and you know a lot of theology and can articulate it, then then that's leadership qualities. We also look at just giftings and wirings and saying like, oh, this person's. Um, outgoing or this person's good with people or this person, you know, whatever. They're just these, these abilities and how that doesn't, that that's how we typically pick leaders. And in most of the world, that's not how they pick leaders. They pick leaders based on, um, on maturity in Christ and being formed, like you said, cruciformed and people who have demonstrated their, their, their faith and trust in Jesus. <laughs> and not that not that it's wrong to have good understanding like that you also would want that but just saying that that is that's going to be a stronger indicator of the understanding and depth of of wisdom and knowledge that a person has more th- more so than just being able to recite passages or theology
0: that makes me think of the the section of the sermon where you were talking about maturity mm-hmm. as well and I wanted to circle back on that and uh, talking about maturity in Christ being like okay I'll just read it here what he says in verse 28 Colossians 128 him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ so like the aim and direction of Paul's ministry to them was to be able to present them mature in Christ it made me think it's really important that we when we think about what maturity is that we're thinking about what Paul meant mm-hmm. and so I wonder if you could take a couple minutes and just expand on on that like what is maturity in Christ what is he getting at there?
1: yeah it's a it's it's an interesting phrase and and because we bring so many of our own presuppositions about what maturity is how we define maturity you know right like we we define it often in things that we value so the person who um, for example the person who is a task person who just values getting things done they're going to see a person who values getting things done as mature and they're going to see somebody who doesn't value that and they can see them as immature like well they're immature they don't understand that that life is really about getting these certain things done Um, other people who value like really big picture thinking and dreaming and, you know, looking forward, they would define maturity as someone who can do those same things. So we, we so often measure these, these things in our own image. Like we, we measure mm-hmm. Christian maturity. So the person who, um, the person who highly values theology would, would measure maturity based on Ken, do you have the right theology? And can you articulate it well? Hmm. The person who values, um, highly values and is wired to be a servant and, and just gives, like serves and goes and, and um, you know will move anybody from one house to the next who will go and, and do all these things, often thinks of maturity as doing that and not, not just sitting around and talking about theology, but going and doing these things. And every bit of it, there's an element of truth in that. Like it's all a piece of the puzzle. Right Like all those things kind of come together, but where it comes together for Paul is actually so much simpler than all of that it is it is you know I, I mentioned the the fruit of the spirit, humility, love. like when you really boil it down, every time Paul talks about maturity that I can think of, he's pointing to a christ like character and demeanor. Hmm. He's never pointing to he's he's rarely pointing that and I'm, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head right now but i can't think of times where he's pointing to things that need to be done or accomplished or uh or even even theological points he, he does mention that the maturity of um going beyond just the foundations of the faith you know and he he talks um uh or that that's in hebrews um, yeah, the that, desiring things, solid. That was that was the whole that was the trick question. Of oh, wait, did Paul write Hebrews? That's a that's a different topic for a different podcast. So I ha- always have to like pause and go, wait a second. But um, the idea, yeah, that you're like the spiritual milk, and that you should be on solid food. You should be teaching others. Um, and I so there is there is that element, but far more often it is it is going to the character of Christ, the demeanor of Christ. Um, And that is the fruit of the spirit, humility, love.
0: It's interesting. Maturity ends up being really wrapped up in a person, right? It's like, you want to know what maturity is. It's like Jesus, it's Christ likeness. And interesting when you get at what we did a couple of weeks ago, I think about him being in the image of God, that he is the exact representation of God. Um, It gets back at, the original intention for which god made human beings in his image Mm -hmm. it's it's to me it's really amazing how this thread the gospel thread doesn't just start with the book of matthew in the new testament right it's all the way through god's revelation to us and uh, we just see it coming to completion in jesus he brings it to completion and yeah I, i don't know i i know for myself maturity for a lot of years my aim was to know more stuff Mm -hmm. and i admired people who knew stuff and i think knowledge is actually really good that that sort of knowing theology or knowing about god or being able to answer questions that's really a good thing and i'm glad that that was a desire of mine but i've come to see that that if you have knowledge without the fruit of the spirit so love joy peace patience kindness the, the list there it's really empty And it's very pointless. And I've met people with way more knowledge of the Bible than I will ever have who don't even believe it's true. When I've been on campus with Mm -hmm. students, I've met professors who know tons about the scriptures. They're scholars of it and they don't believe it at all. So clearly just knowing about God intellectually or knowledge-based isn't enough. So I don't know. I appreciate that emphasis that we're talking about becoming like a person like Jesus Christ and our character that then overflows into our behaviors.
1: Yeah. And if we, and I love that we we say that it's wrapped up in a person because then that, that guards us from going down rabbit trails because someone could say, well, wait a second. Maturity is also understanding, like Mm -hmm. uh, it's understanding and knowing. So theology is important. Yes, Jesus clearly um, understood and had knowledge, and and it is those things are important. But it's important in the way and the demeanor of Christ. Mm-hmm. So you don't see arrogance if in in Jesus. So if you if your knowledge of theology is coming is is coming from a place of arrogance, well then it's not maturity it's just knowledge which you know paul explicitly says that's why knowledge puffs up but love builds up and and all these other things the gifts are are worthless they're you know a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal they're without love that's the that's the idea that any of these things so so when someone values knowledge and they say well knowledge is important and you point to a couple of passages where knowledge is important yes as manifested in the person of jesus christ hmm. You know, or if somebody says, no, what's important is that we um, that we serve and that we're we're doers and that we' we're, we're doers of the word and you, you quote those passages. Yes, if we're doing things and serving and going in the in the, um, in the image of Christ, like it, as Christ went. Um, and same way with you know, like, again, this is just what we are wired for. So, you know, if a, a person who is more of a confrontational person and says, no, we need to stand up for truth. Yes, in the way that Christ did that. And if you do it in a way that Christ didn't do it, well, then you're not actually... That's not actually maturity according to the Bible. Hmm. So maturity is not defined by any of those things. You can't define maturity apart from Christ. I mean, according to it, the Christian, obviously. Yes. You just... You can't. Um, there's nowhere... There's nowhere that I could look at my life and say, yeah, I know that doesn't look like Jesus, but I think it's still honoring to God. Hmm. But that doesn't work. So, um, and I think when we, when we can, when we separate traits, we start to interpret them in the way in our own, again, in our own image.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. We can't just look up the word humility in the dictionary and know what that means for us as followers of Jesus because it's Christ-like humility. Exactly. It's yes. Christ-like knowledge, it's Christ-like love and grace and all those things. Yeah, that's a that's so that's good because that is that is exactly that is what we do. We basically look up Webster's
1: definition of love. That's why we get these issues where you see um you know part of the church that has gone away from the truth of scripture um, and they'll say they'll say well God is love. And so that means and then they'll they'll Say all these things that are opposed to Scripture, but because they say, well, but because God is love, that means I just, you know, we live and let live, and I accept everything and 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 you know support everything because God is love. Well, what they're really doing though is they're defining love. They're either taking Webster's dictionary, their own experience, their own wiring, their own, and they're defining it. And you you can't do that and call that Christian maturity. It's always evidenced by Christ. So I I love that idea of saying, okay, and it's so simple, right? It's so simple to say, okay, peace. All right. What does that mean? What does it mean that we're blessed are the peacemakers? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, Jesus, but Jesus, you know, like how, however he did it, that's, that's what it means when it, when he says that. So let Jesus, let the life of Jesus define the terms That we see in scripture
0: but you just triggered a thought jay that this underscores the importance of knowing who jesus is like so we were just saying that knowledge can be a bad thing if not christ-like knowledge and this is an example where where we need knowledge of him to know what his life was like Mm -hmm. so spending time as a habit of just being enamored with him and that we see in the gospel yeah uh, and, and I think that's what we're doing on Sunday mornings as well. When the word is preached, we are hearing this is what Jesus is like over and over again. But it makes me think we really do need to be people who are just all the time over and over again, thinking about, meditating on, imagining the life of Jesus as we encounter it uh, in the scriptures. Because otherwise we won't know how to say like, okay, so Jesus is loving. What does that mean? we need to have content for that so that we know who he really is. Yeah. That's really good. Glad you brought that up. This also makes me think the way Paul says maturity, he he really does make it like the goal of his ministry, present everyone Yeah, mature in Christ. It does, for us as a church, that has great implications for how we measure and think about when ministry is going well or it's not. Mm-hmm. Right, you mentioned it's not about participation in programs. It's not about how many people are at a service. This right. is what it's about, maturity in Christ. Right, because
1: really the, the biggest mark of maturity in Christ for the believer is a person who has completely laid down their life and identified with Christ, that, that they no longer live, but Christ lives in them that's our pursuit, right? None of us fulfill that perfectly by any stretch. I mean, my my life is full of those contradictions, and the question that I'm usually asking myself is, can I imagine Jesus functioning how I just functioned in this scenario? Mm -hmm. And so often the answer is no. And so that kind of eliminates any of the justifications I have. Like, well, I know I said that a little harshly, but I was right or this person needed that or whatever. And then if I look at that and say, Jesus never spoke that way to people, um, then, then I should never speak that way to people. And, um, and that, that can cut both ways. But I think when we look for maturity, when I'm, when, when I'm saying, okay, are we presenting? So if I'm discipling someone and I'm thinking of presenting them as mature in Christ, I'm not thinking about a list of doctrinal truths um, or skills, I'm thinking about the character of Christ and I'm thinking about them, how they understand the gospel and that they look at Christ. And, and essentially, it's the parable of the treasure hidden in a field. Like a person mature in Christ is a person who says he's worth it. Mm-hmm. He's worth everything. And that person, that person is mature. Does that make sense? It does. Well.
0: <laughs> it, the way I, I'm just thinking about the implications of that, yeah. you know, like, so the way, if you can say that, and you, you got at this in the sermon, like Christ is worth it. So this suffering I'm experiencing right now, or this, this challenge, um, to get really Christ calls each one of us as his apprentices to get outside of our own stuff, right. Mm-hmm. And to, to deal with our own stuff, but then to get involved in other people's and to help and to bless Ultimately, it's going to come down to Jesus is worth this. He is worth it. And you gave the example of like a firefighter or a police officer. Um, We could add to it, you know, teachers, nurses, doctors, whatever. Whenever you put yourself in a situation that um, you're risking it for other people, it's because you're thinking this is worth it. This person is worth it. And, And we're saying to follow Jesus as his apprentice is to say over and over again with all of our life, he's worth it. He's worth it.
1: And I think it's important at that point because what I grew up with was people telling me he's worth it and it was in the vein of look at everything he did for you. The least you can do is suck it up and endure. Oh, so pay him back. Yeah, Yeah. And that's a very important thing that we have to caution against. Jesus isn't worth it because... You know, he did all of he did all of this for us in the past tense and we're supposed to now like the least we could do is kinda of pay him back or you know, do do these things for him. It's he's worth it because he yes, he has done a work for us, but he is doing a work in us now and he is doing he's preparing a work for us in the future. Um, and we are partakers in that. And so it's very real, tangible things that are, that are worth it. And that's why, you know, I tried to touch on that a little bit of the peace and the joy and, um, and then the, the extravagant riches and blessings that he gives to his children, the inheritance that is being kept for us, um, undefiled and unfading. It's, it's all of these things that are saying, yeah, this is, this is the best use of my life. It It's not a, it's not a guilt trip of, and that's what I mean when I say people saying it's worth it is they're saying I wouldn't do anything else. So that's the difference between um, you know, the teacher. you mentioned teachers. You know, teachers often are in really hard situations. There's a huge difference between the teacher who says, well, it's worth it because you know, they gave me the job, so the least I can do is stand in here. you know, they're giving me a paycheck. So the least I can do is, is stay in here and and deal with with this situation. That's very different than the person, the teacher who says it's worth it because I've seen the fruit of this labor. Yes. I know what's coming and this is the reward and I wouldn't do anything else. I wouldn't trade it.
0: Yes, that's a good distinction. It's it's about, yes, it's about those kids for that teacher, right, it's not about the pay. Yeah. And I just have, you know, I've already been paid, I'm getting paid, I have to do this. Because that's kind of what happens when our if our mentality switches into, I think John Piper called that like the debtor's ethic or mm. God gives you something and then you give him something back we kind yeah. of do that sometimes with gifts for each other Yes, um, that is not how God intends for us to live with him he, no. does not, he cannot be paid back and he does not desire any payment back he, it's a gift to have life with him and the life we have with him is that worth it it's that amazing and that good that of course we would follow Jesus into difficult places of course we would which because is, it's that yeah,
1: good. That's why he has right, It's why he has joy in it. That's why he rejoices. That's why James says, you know, that it's with joy that we meet these trials. It's because it is coming through them the the gift that is there in which ultimately the gift is God himself. It is intimacy with Christ. Um, I was talking to someone not too long ago that they just said that they didn't understand how they would see other people feel close to God and they didn't understand that. Hmm. And they, they, they wanted, they would love to feel that way and they didn't understand why they couldn't. And I just thought, man, that's such a great point that, that the actual reward is intimacy with Christ. Like when you feel known and loved and seen by the creator of the universe and you are like hiding in him seeking refuge in him. Um, when, 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 when you have that unity with Christ there's like there's nothing like it like you're bulletproof and that's amazing it's amazing to not be tossed to and fro and to you know to be at the mercy of what's going on in the world or at the mercy of what's going on in your life or at the mercy of how other people are treating you but to be free because you're so you feel and are experiencing such love in Christ that you're free to to love others, even if they are, even if they do evil to you, you know, like you're, you'd mentioned earlier when you're talking about Romans 12 and hmm. um, overcoming evil with good. Well, that, that only happens when you are so satisfied and so rock solid in your identity in Christ that you don't, you don't need that from like you can overcome evil with good in, in that situation, you know, because, because you are so filled up and you're so, it's so worth it to just be abiding in Christ.
0: Yeah. And it's like, as we get to know him more and more, we see how good he is. It's interesting because parts of, you know, part of growing, I think in him is looking back and realizing for me, Oh, I did not realize how good he was in this thing or his character or what he's done for me, the more I find out how good he is, the more everything that's not of him does not look so good anymore. So evil actually feels like more evil. It actually looks like stealing my life. Mm -hmm. It actually looks like it's going to destroy me and other people, not bring life, not bring joy, all the things that we have in Christ. Yeah, yeah. I think when we were talking about Romans 12 earlier, before the podcast, Jay had just, he had said in the sermon we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter suffering. Part of the reason Paul includes this in here is so they wouldn't be surprised. And it just triggered that thought that in me, it's the same with encountering evil in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. We, we don't need to be surprised by it. And in fact, we should expect it. And when we expect it, we can be ready to overcome it with good through Christ, through his spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think that picture from this passage in Colossians, of this mystery this hope of glory being christ in you that's what makes all the difference it's christ in us so we aren't just doing this because we've decided just to be good people or we've just decided over and over again i'm just not going to do anything that's evil ever again it's christ in us who's transforming us and empowering us to overcome evil with good as we encounter it in our daily lives and that should just be a regular occurrence for us we just, yeah, I, we counter evil all the time. Oftentimes, we, we probably encounter evil on the road, on the way into work, you know, rudeness or whatever it is in your context. In ourselves, well, yeah, that's where we encounter it first. Right. Yes. And it shouldn't surprise us.
1: Like no. we so quickly go then into a shame spiral or into a or into a justify self justification spiral or whatever. And the reality is, we shouldn't be surprised that it's it's uh, it it's expected out there and in here that, you know, we are being shaped from one degree of glory to another. Mm. It's slow, but it is beautiful. It's a beautiful work and he will, he'll finish it. He'll complete it in us and in all creation. And we can, we can absolutely rest in that. So is there anything practical? Yeah. Is there anything practical? We need to wrap this up, but I know that I tend to get very kind of out there, Robbie often has to rein me in and say like, okay, what's, what's of practical help. And you are so good at, at giving kind of practical, taking really big concepts and just giving people just some kind of encouragement. So I'm putting you on the spot to do yeah. that. Yeah.
0: I mean, the question that came to my mind was what is like a step, one step each of us could take towards maturity in Christ. So if Christ likeness is the end, the tell the goal what can we do? And I think you kind of, you've outlined it a bit already, Jay, in the podcast, but thinking about what parts of my life or what one thing today in my life did I do that was not the way Christ would have done it. And whether it was like a word I said or a thought, you know, or a way I interacted with someone or treated someone. And I think it's identifying that. And if it were me, I would probably ask God to, to help me. Like, Lord, what is it right now uh, from this day or this week that was not Christ-like and that really needs to needs to change in my life. And then I think we take steps in our discipleship to Jesus to write that, to go in a different direction. And we're going to talk about that in future sermons on Colossians. There's whole sections on on that. But I do think maybe that's a step, Jay, is just to start asking God that, Lord, I know that Christ-likeness is what you have in store for me and that is your desire for me. And I know that I'm not there yet. That's not surprising, but what is the next step I can take towards Christ likeness? So maybe it's just a prayer for right now, you know,
1: that's good. And I, and I think as Paul said, when Paul encourages us to be imitators of him, I think that there is something helpful in that. Like if that's your goal and saying, I want to be Christ-like and you're thinking about the life of Jesus, the first place you look is the gospels. He defines what all these things of maturity mean. And then look to others that you see as walking in that and, um, and be challenged by that and be, I think that that is, that is good and and healthy to do that um, as long as it's pushing you towards Christ. So,
0: yeah, that's good. Hopefully that's, that's something actionable, right? Like Hopefully. something that we can start with. And we really, the truth is for us to make progress in likeness, we need each other Yes, because often, I mean, not often, a lot, I think we're self-deceived. I know I am. And we can't always see the glaring issues. And so we need loving people around us who can help us with that and that'd be fun to explore in another podcast, what oh, that yeah. could look like in community.
1: That's one of Robbie's favorite topics, the whole spiritual blind spots. I, I told him the other day, he asked me about that, and uh, I said, I don't I don't have any blind spots. I looked. <laughs> ah, that's little, I get it. That's a, I, I get it. it. See what I did there? Yes. Um, but that's the reality, is we, we don't see, and we need someone else to see that in us, and observe that in us, and to help us with it. So... Um, yeah, we definitely need each other. So hopefully that's been helpful. We are appreciative that you have um, hung in there with us this long on this podcast and uh, and hope that it was encouraging to you. And uh, until the next time, hopefully, if you were part of our church family, we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. And if you are outside of that, we hope that um, we hope these podcasts are just are just helpful to hear more of a conversational side of things we, we're so often in teaching mode or whatever but we just think there's value in, in just um, processing these things out so hopefully that is um, helpful to you so until next time thanks for joining us